Hello lovers, go to entamopleasurables.com for your slippery needs and get 20% off with the WILD20 promo code. You'll thank me later. Running wild with Christine, sex, success, and other slippery rabbit holes. Welcome to episode 96 with Devin. Hi, Devin. Hi. How, How are, are you? you? Ah, I'm good. I mean, same as all the last four, just at home trying to keep busy. What about you? Finding ways to occupy ourselves. Yeah, yeah. What about you? I haven't been bored, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to where you were when all this shit broke loose. <laughs> but um, so this thing that holds all of the episodes together is um, sort of the who are you part. Um, Certainly. Usually when I have guests on that I know in real life, I kind of tell the story of how we met. <laughs> <laughs> so we can start there if that's okay with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you and I met on OkCupid. Yeah, right? I actually wouldn't have remembered what platform that was, but yeah, you're right. And we went on a very civilized date, right? Yeah, thought we were well behaved. We were very well behaved, and then realized that we had a liking for Shibari in common. <laughs> yeah. And you were the first person to ever suspend me with a rope. Mm-hmm. I actually had to build a special contraption in my living room just for you, for that particular I feel so special. Uh, play date. <laughs> that was really fun. And if, if anyone's been following me on Instagram, you will actually have seen evidence of this because you also are a photographer. I dabble. Yeah. I'm by no means a professional, but I certainly enjoy taking pictures of pretty things and people. Yeah. So that was super fun. Yeah, it was definitely. Uh, actually, from that experience and a few others, I learned that trying to be um, uh, the the person tying and the person taking photographs with someone who um, I'm involved with, that it's too many things. Um, right. It, like, dis- it distracts from, it distracts from all of the events. It's like, it's hard to take good photos. It's definitely um, hard to do good rope work. And then obviously like, you know, the person that you're, yeah. Yeah. So um, I tend to separate those activities a little bit more thoughtfully now, um, <laughs> which is great. But I, I have some other people in my life who are um, talented photographers as well. So um, that's, uh, that's a fun aspect. It's actually really great to be able to just like, to focus in. And I think one of the things that drew me into Shibari, aside from just a love of ropes and, and not work generally, was the, the kind of meditative and focusing aspects. You really, like, you really get drawn into the person that you're tying. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it slows everything down. It forces it to slow down. Yeah, no, it's incredible. Um, before we go into if we end up talking about that, that's cool. Um, if not, whatever. <laughs> Um, let's hear about you. So who are you? Where'd you grow up? What was your childhood like? Uh, I grew up on the West coast of Canada. Uh, I had a pretty great childhood. Um, my parents split when I was pretty young and I was my mother's only child, but she remarried and I have step siblings and my dad had kids with his second wife. So I have a very amorphous, uh, family. Uh, we have you know, good connections. If not, um, uh, if not, uh, oh, over and around the distance because um, we all live in different places. But um, yeah, I love Western Canada. I love the ocean. I grew up running around in the woods. Um, definitely an active lifestyle has been part of my, um, my, my life. And uh, I've traveled a lot. I've lived overseas for almost a decade in and amongst different phases of my life. Um, and that, that introduced me to different people and different places. And, uh, but I keep coming back here cause I, I love this part of the world. Yeah. Um, and now I'm here for an indefinite period of time, whether I like it or not, That's right. <laughs> but I do really like it here. So I feel pretty fortunate about that. That's good. I don't know how much we're going to get to experience all of, all it has to offer in the next couple of months, but hopefully more than yeah. I think. So you, did you, did you do your uh, degree here as well? Yep. I went to UBC. I studied, oh, yeah. um, we did the same I program. Stu- did you do did you do an international relations degree as well yeah we did yeah oh yeah it uh i really i really dragged that one out i did uh i i finished up at ubc in 2009 but i didn't actually like 
finish my degree until 2016 or 2017. I had like one lingering course that I never. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Finally... So you finished your time right in at UBC right when I started. I started in 2009. Mm, yeah, I heard you were coming, so I fled. Yeah, that's right. That's what you're like, <laughs> I wasn't ready. I, I wasn't go. ready for you yet. <laughs> um, and then what happened after? Like, what, first of all, why did you study IR? It's such a weird choice. I found out from making it myself. Well, my career path is not a linear um, right. story arc in any way. I I'm on career number seven at this point. I. Um, I, most of the work I do has nothing, nothing to do with, um, international relations or development. Although I did spend four years overseas working as a, uh, in, in development work and, um, social enterprise. Um, before that I was a chef for a while. I worked on yachts, hence the rope thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've done a bunch of different things. So it's hard to, it's hard to connect that into, it, it makes sense for me. I just chased things that I was interested in, yeah. which is, is in no small part how I ended up in, uh, the relationship model, alternative lifestyle, um, and a few other things that'll probably be relevant to the conversation. Yeah. So, um, let's, um, do a tiny bit more of the linear bit of the storytelling. Um, so after you see, where'd you move to? Like, give us an example of like a, f a few of the countries you lived in. Um, I've lived, uh, so I lived on a, on yachts for three years. And so I, I hit quite a few countries there. I was based mo mainly in the Caribbean and Central America, but I spent some time in the Med as well. Um, when I was in the Caribbean, I was mostly in Grenada or St. Martin. Um, spent a little time in Panama as well, which I really loved. And then in um, in the Mediterranean, I was in southern Spain and Mallorca, which you know of yes. quite well. Um, and then I lived in East Africa for four years um, in from 2011 to 2013. Um, and then other than that, it's been mostly um, small projects, traveling for passion and whatever. But yeah, I've been to, been to just over 70 countries. That's crazy. I love that story. And also, it's so weird that um, that I've had I have so many people in my life who worked on yachts, which is like super a random career to like have been a part of. So I can actually. Were you a deckhand? What was your job? I was a chef. That that was oh, my. So I I went to culinary school here in Vancouver, and then as soon as I was like eighteen. I was 19 and I was like, okay, I'm going to get the hell out of town. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And I had a buddy who would kind of a friend of the family that was working on a boat in the Caribbean at the time. And so I called him up and he was like, oh yeah, that's a thing. You can come and work here. And uh, he ended up becoming a very close friend. We bought a boat together years later. It, it was a, uh, it was a fortuitous life choice for, for, for me. But uh, yeah, I was just like, oh, that's the thing people do. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to go do that. The legit is it's like the golden prison of jobs. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um so um i'm gonna go into your personal side of your life what was your mm -hmm. um love slash lust slash feelings life like up until sort of like during that tumultuous traveling time i was a late bloomer I guess is the best way to put that. I was um, I was a serial monogamist in the early phases of my life. Um, I had some curiosities. My first experience with a boy was in high school. Um, before I'd had sex with a girl or a boy, um, we like were fooling around, and um, so that was that. You know, I was like a little bit exploratory, but I just the models that were there there for me kind of like monogamous relationships are the thing that you should do um obviously you know my that was my my home model my parents um both my parents divorced and remarried but um they, they were in committed long-term monogamous relationships they've both been with their second um partners for they're, they're, they're still together now so um those models were just kind of like the things that were on the table for me and um and while like boys seemed kind of interesting in high school, girls were really interesting in high school and those relationships were easier to pursue. I will yeah. say <laughs> not that they were ever simple, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think all through my twenties, I, I had a couple of phases where I dated a little bit, but I was a little bit more shy. And so I, I kind of, um, ended up in relationships with the, with women who were like, Hey, I like you. And I was like, cool, I'm into that and we're going to be together. And then I, you know, I was like, 
was in a relationship for five years and then two years and then two more years and um, did that. It wasn't until my late twenties where I was really like, Oh, maybe there's more to this, or maybe I shouldn't just like fall totally in love with the first person who shows interest in me. Yeah. Um, how did that, that, was a how did that light bulb turn on? Um, I don't, it's, you know, it's a long time ago now. <laughs> <laughs> um, there wasn't like a, a, a situation that made you think about it or it was like a, just like a random thought that sort of started evolving over time? You know, I think that it was um, coming out of my first serious long-term relationship. I was, I, you know, I was heartbroken and confused and we needed to end the relationship long before we did. And, um, and because we were young and had no communication skills and not really much uh, self-awareness, the way we ended up ending that relationship is I was away traveling. She got into a relationship with another man who she's now married to and has like has a few kids with and is very happy. Um, so she made a good choice for her. Uh, but for me, I was like, I was crushed and I was like, oh, this person that I was going to be with forever cheated on me. And, um, and that was the only narrative I had. And so after that, I was really resistant to get into a relationship because I didn't want to be hurt. So I did one of those things where I, I slept with a roommate for like a year and then we lived together for another year after that. So I think as completely, um, uh, that was not a healthy relationship for either of us. Um, and it was confusing and not very good communication and all that kind of stuff. But I think in that moment, that was a kind of a subtle door of me saying like, Oh, you know, I want to have a connection to somebody, but I don't want it to be consumptive and, and like, uh, and defining of everything about my life. But I had no language for that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that there was any other alternatives and I certainly didn't have the, I didn't have the awareness or the, or the, or the thoughts in my own headspace to be able to, to like offer that, you know, outward to the world at that point it was, it was quite a few years later before I started to be like, Oh, Oh, I can, I can just communicate with people and ask for what I want and see if that's what they want. And I mean, at that phase of my life, I was kind of not really talking much about sex and, I was really lucky um, in that the people that I um, was connected with um, were were communicative enough to sort of talk about what they liked in bed and like sex was good. It certainly wasn't bad. So, uh, you know, and I was in long-term committed relationships. So even if it wasn't maybe great in the beginning, it got pretty good. And so I wasn't, I was like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. Yeah. It, later it was like, mm, yeah, but it could be a lot more. And then some other experiences were like, holy shit. This this can be amazing. So yeah, what's the defining moment for you that goes like a pleasure can be a lot more, and b monogamy is not the only option. I think I think the pleasure can be a lot more thing is um, is a road that continues to unfold. Um, like I've, I've always been a I've always been a sensualist. Like. Um, you know, even as a kid, I loved cuddles. And as a, um, as a partner, I'm very physically affectionate. And I like to express myself with the people that I, um, physical with. Um, uh, so it was always, a there was always a bit of a pathway there. And yeah. then, you know, my life's gotten pretty weird in the last couple of years. I'll be honest, like I'm into meditation and ethnogens and breath work and exploring a lot of, um, altered states and, one of those pathways is definitely sexuality and sexual expression. Um, and so things as simple as, or not simple, um, things as, um, as category, uh, um, things that we could categorize like Shabari. Yeah. Um, they can be a, a really expressive, um, mental state that you get into with a partner and it can be, it can be something that leads to sex or it can be something that doesn't. And both of those things can be really profound and powerful and, um, and, uh, bring up a lot of intense feelings. So to explore that in bed with someone or in the living room floor, <laughs> um, those doors have been opening up manifold in the last few years. And that's been in no small part because, um, uh, uh, I've been spending a lot of time uh, investigating in my, my own self, my own sexuality, how to express that. And I've been extremely lucky to find people 
who want to have conversations about sex, who want to play, who who have the confidence to be silly and like kind of get awkward sometimes. Actually, I had just a great moment with um, with one of my partners just the other night where we were like trying some stuff out and it was like, okay, that's a bit uncomfortable. And we were laughing and, yeah. and that was really fun. And then the next day we were talking about it and she was like, it was a fucking huge turn on to be in that situation, um, to be playful and to be like, yeah, this isn't really like, this doesn't feel sexy, but it still feels fun. And I still feel connected to you and it's cool. And we figured some stuff out. <laughs> yeah. How did you, cause I, when I met you, you used the term, um, relationship anarchist how do you come to <laughs> how do you come to that vocabulary like what's the what's the beginning of your like exploration into relationship models um so when my partners listen to this they're gonna laugh but um i i love words and hate labels like mm -hmm. i I talk a lot. I talk with them a lot. You know, you and I have had many, many hours of conversations about these topics. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sometimes when we were both supposed to be at work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What do you mean? No, I'm great at my job. <laughs> I think one of the things that I've, I mean, I, I've struggled with this uh, in previous phases of my life, professionally and personally and, and in relationships and whatnot, it's that um, labels are tools for trying to make sense of something and they're really necessary in the way we communicate. And they're also little tiny boxes that we shove ourselves in. And sometimes those boxes are really useful and sometimes they're not. So I railed against um, polyamorous versus non-monogamous versus relationship anarchy versus all the terminology because they can mean really specific things for certain people and then totally different things for other people. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm speaking from a personal place. I don't love um, the, the hierarchical aspect of some polyamorous um, constellations. Sure. Yeah. I do like the word constellation because I feel like, Most people end up in a unique scenario, depending on who they are and who the people they're getting involved with are, um, what what everybody wants and how they communicate and all that. Um, uh, so, I kind of like relationship anarchy only because it it gives you the in the in the way that like if you're an anarchist, you are self governing. Um, yeah. You know, in the in the neutral political term, we're having a political science discussion now. Yeah. Um, We tend to do versus. That. <laughs> That's why we have so many great conversations. We cover so much ground with one another. Yeah. Um, so I, if, if somebody were to put peg me in a corner, I would say I'm polyamorous now. Um, I have I have some very deep connections um, with the people in my life. Uh, they're not they're, they're not trivial. We're investing in um, in sort of larger life goals with one another. So it wouldn't feel it wouldn't feel right to be like, oh, we're just this anarchist coalition um <laughs> we're you know we're in love and we're talking about you know how to how to navigate futures together and i think that that's meaningful um and i and i care about honoring those that that aspect of our relationship and then i also don't want to arbitrarily put a, a label or a barrier on what connections for for me or for any of them would be in their lives so like You don't really know who's going to show up and what kind of connection you could have with a with a person. And by saying, "Well, like this is my primary partner, and anybody else is second fiddle," like that just feels shitty to me to say to somebody. Um, and then you also need to respect, like, you know, there's people who are important in your life, and there's you know, love love might be infinite, but um, <laughs> but at the same time, time and resources aren't like you can't you know you can't. You can't make 28 hours in a 24-hour day and yeah. choose to spend all your time with different people. So, you know, there's, I haven't, um, I haven't landed on something where I'm like, this is the model, this is the recipe, this is how I define my life. And I don't think, in fact, I don't think that necessarily, sorry, sorry I'm just adding to, to what you're saying uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it's necessarily the point. Like, I think a lot of the conversations I've been having on the podcast, regardless of what the topic is, is in fact talking about, you know, we, we use boxes, like you were saying, as a tool to understand the life around us and the, and the system that we've created. And we, we like to figure out people and put them in those boxes, but also they're, they're restricting on a personal level because like, I think if you, some of the conversations you and I have had as individuals for the last year, <laughs> we've defined ourselves in each of those conversations differently. Yeah. Oh, totally. So like and it's from an the evolution. time we had tacos to the time we were at work to the time, like blah, 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 blah. Like the yeah. words and the relationships that we've had have been very different. Uh, absolutely. I, I, I think, um, I mean, that's informed by the, 
like the experiences that we've we've certainly by the experiences that I've had in the last two years, a, lo a lot of my orientation and worldview has has shifted. Um, I'm much more comfortable with my bisexuality now than I was two years ago. I mean, when we first met, I don't think I was even fully defining myself in that way. Um, now I'm much more open it? to yeah. it. Yeah. Sorry. I said I think you. I think I remember you toying with it, and but not b being as sort of like comfortable using it. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I think at that stage, maybe I was, I was um, coming out to my partners pretty freely, because I was like, hey, this is a part of me and might be part of us. Like, yeah. wouldn't that be cool? Cool. Um, and then, but I was still like a lot more um, conservative when it came to sharing those things with my family and with my friends. And there's still some people that I, it's interesting, because sometimes I'm like, okay, I want to be able to like go out into the world and be who I am. But at the same time, like, it's not everybody's fucking business, frankly, like, <laughs> Um, yeah. so there's an interesting moment of like, when do people need to know? And when do they not need to know, uh, in this situation, like, um, you, you asked at the beginning before we started recording, like, are there any topics that I would want to avoid or, or, or be a bit delicate with? And like, if I'm in a conversation with somebody and they're asking, you know, meaningful questions and are coming from a place of curiosity, I have no problem sharing any of that stuff. But if it's like, some dude that I work with who's going to get all weird when I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm into dudes. He's like, oh, oh God, I don't know how to handle that shit. Because um, that happens. And it's like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, that's awkward. But uh, it's I don't know. I'm also more comfortable with all of that now because I'm like, oh, you want to be awkward? That's fine. <laughs> yeah, that defines your experience, not mine. Um, yeah. I, I think that it's interesting because for me, it's fascinating going across the sort of like um, self development work quote-unquote and mm. and sort of the the time that you can have to like sort of track someone's evolution and I remember like when we first met you were like oh and we talked about this recently as well when I found a therapist of like oh you were yeah. looking for a therapist to give you like more tools with non-monogamy and how to like handle all the shit and it's like you just recently sent me an article about like the shit they, they don't tell you about being in multiple relationships and all the, the yeah. challenges that come with it like do you find that there's do you find that there's more tools now or are you just gotten better at finding them? I, I mean, I think the, uh, I think there's been a movement that th there's a group of people within our larger society that is you know, more curious uh, about, about modern, um, alternatives to, to monogamy. Um, the, I say this all the time, the problem with, so there's like monogamy and then there's everything else, which is a huge basket of goods. Like, yeah, like the, you start to get lost in the definitions pretty quickly about you know what's your what's your gender expression what's your uh, sexual orientation how do you what kind of relationships do you want to be in how close are those relationships are they are they organized in a hierarchy like it can, you can go down the rabbit hole pretty fast which is a blessing and a curse the you know the blessing is you can make whatever you want but the responsibility that comes with that is you got to show up and make choices um, yeah. and that can be a little bit overwhelming. I, you know, when you and I were first connecting and I had been starting to see a counselor um, for the audience at home, I, I had been married for a few years before I before we chose to end that relationship. We went to see a therapist. That was the first sort of formal therapy that I had gotten into. It was great. The woman that we worked with was fantastic. Um, she gave us lots of tools. Um, and then after the after our marriage um, ended, I kept going to her to to, to talk about, okay, now I have these, these like much more formulated questions about non-monogamy and like being with multiple partners. And she was like, Hey, that's really cool. Not my wheelhouse. I just don't have a basket of goods to offer you. And I don't have really, really many resources other than what she would find on the internet. Um, and so she encouraged me to go look elsewhere, which is why I was like, Oh, you found a sex positive therapist. Cool. Who are they? <laughs> um, there are there are definitely lots of people in the world that are doing really great work that that um, that I think have more tools. There's more people writing, and and that article that I sent you the other day I think was a great example of somebody who had sort of been through a little bit of stuff and had some time for introspection and was not writing a rosy narrative of what alternatives to non-monogamy look like. Yeah, and in that in that article uh, we talked about this already. Um, uh, they highlight the, um, the the fact that in a lot of the books that had come out sort of a decade ago, they are a bit rosy, um, and they're a bit. You know, they, it comes across as promotional, which is like a big flag, I think. For if you if you've been through it a little while, and you're like, no, non-monogamy is fucking hard. Um, 
yeah. you know, juggling more than relationships, the logistics, um, being accountable, uh, showing up with enough energy for even one partner can be exhausting. And like I'm, anybody, even if you're not in a, um, in a polyamorous relationship, like if you have kids or family members that you're caring for and all like, that can be exhausting. Yeah. Um, it can be really, really intense. And then it's not always easy to go back and get more energy from those people. So it's nice to see that some of that is coming up in a, in a public discourse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, go ahead. No, no, no. I think the, the thing that you sort of like came across was like, you know, we're, we're familiar with the narrative that um, monogamy is hard. We're familiar with the narrative that at some point you hit like a, a, a dry spell or a bad phase, or like you don't really like each other for a little while. And like, that's like a narrative that, that is very familiar and either you push through it or you get a divorce either way like it's a thing that you go through and there's this assumption that if you get outside of that it's to avoid that it's to make sure that your life at no point gets to that where you're like oh i'm stuck with this person like look you're not stuck with this person you have all these other options but also you're still stuck with people like you still chose people totally. in your life that you quote unquote are stuck with <laughs> through your decisions well i mean the- you know, um, yeah, to, to, to go back to the political science side of things for a second, like there's transition costs. Mm-hmm. Like you want to you want to change your job. Like, well, OK, you might have to take a pay cut if you're transitioning from uh, one career path to another. If you know, if you're just moving from the same strata to the to the same strata in a different company, it's probably not going to be that different. But if you're going to change career paths and take on a new line of work, like you're going to, you're going to lose out on some income for a little while. There's going to be a learning curve. And that's true of like people you own a house with or somebody that you have like lived with in an apartment for a number of years. You got to move all your stuff somewhere else. You're not sharing your phone bills anymore. Like those costs are real. Like that's, and let's face it, like lots of relationships are not born um, out of uh, out of love or out of sexual attraction. People get into relationships for all sorts of reasons, and many of them are financial or practical or because it's a cultural Social. narrative yeah. that fits. So all of those things still apply um, when you open up your life to more than one person. You know, there's the, there's the obvious upsides that everybody kind of thinks about. It's like, oh, you get to have great sex with lots of people. And it's like, well, sometimes you do when everybody's happy and the communication's well and you feel like you have the energy. I find actually one of the, the bigger upsides for me is like I have way more emotional support in my life. And my I'm really fortunate in that my partners are connected. Um, they have their own relationship independent of me and they are... So not only can they support one another, but I can go to one of them and be like, hey, I'm having this conversation in this other space with with the other person I care about. And they can understand the context and they can offer like sort of nuanced and informed uh, advice that I can rate highly as opposed to being like, oh, you don't really know what you're talking about. So thanks. Um, They're more than just a they're more than just an ear to listen. They can actually give me some feedback on stuff and like. That's hugely valuable, especially in the like, I'm trying to understand myself as a complicated human and be more, be more aware and be better at the things that I want to improve communication. Yeah, but then on the other side of that, like, what was it six months, eight months ago, when you were just trying to get those, those relationships stabilized, it was like triple the work because you, (laughs) you know what, it's a little bit bad with one person. Now it's a little bit bad with a lot of people, including yourself. And, and that's, that's a huge amount of work well and i in in that particular moment that i think you're referencing i like i showed up at work one day um uh, um christina and i were on a film set together and we you know we have some downtime in our jobs and i walked up and i was like i think my life's falling apart and yesterday i've been like my life's great i have like these two amazing people and they're so incredible and she was like wow that happened bad yeah um I, maybe it wasn't overnight but it was over the weekend and in that particular moment i was um I was, again, in in my unique situation, um, I started seeing both of the people in my life around the same time within about a month of each other. It wasn't intentional. I just happened to meet them Mm -hmm. both in that moment. And so the... The story arcs of our connection were um, were not that separated in terms of timing. I didn't have like a year to develop a relationship with one of them and then met somebody else. 
Um, and so this was a, this has presented a whole bunch of unique challenges that I didn't expect. Um, I say this a lot, like I wouldn't have chosen this particular path, <laughs> but, um, but I mean, I did, I chose it at each step along the way. But in that moment, you know, in the fall, when we were talking, I was, I was coming to terms that I was, I was pretty in love with, um, with one of these women and was like, I was, you know, I was having all the feels and I was recognizing that I would like walk in the door and I'd be like, wow, I'm, I'm like, I'm fucking in love with you. This is incredible. Um, and we were having those conversations. And so in the spirit of like honesty and disclosure, I went after a, like a couple of weeks, went to go and have that conversation with my other partner to be like, Hey, so this is happening. And I feel like this is important and could affect your life. And so I'm going to say some things to you. And of course I was a bit of an idiot and didn't offer that information <laughs> in the most gentle way. I mean, I was trying to be gentle, but I was probably waffling a little bit and delivery and so what ended up happening was like a real critical moment where where that person was like okay well you're in love with somebody else so that means i'm i'm out like i'm off the team now or something and and my visceral reaction in that moment was like no that's not what i want i like i'm i like i want you in my life and what i was not as present with in my relationship with my second partner was that I was falling in love with her as well. And like, that was a confusing moment. Cause it's like, I've never been in this situation before. Like I've yeah. never been falling in love with two people simultaneously for very different reasons. And like trying to unpack all that, that was a fuckload of work. I would have really liked a therapist at that moment. Right? But instead I came to work and talked to you and, and <laughs> three or four cigarettes and we laughed and it was great. No, but I mean, it's important to, and, and this is, I think like some of the hard part of potentially not having, like you were saying, the, the luck or the fortune of having people around you that you can have these conversations with because it is yeah. freaking confusing like I was telling you two days ago when we randomly ca caught up over the phone and you were asking me how my life's going and I'm like I'm extremely monogamous right now <laughs> you know <laughs> situations outside of my control and yeah. um outside of both our controls and so it's it's um I think it's important to have connections with people because you can go and, and dissect sort, sort of like how do you work with like all of this work you've been doing on making those adjustments where like in my situation I clearly have a primary partner not because tomorrow I might not meet somebody that matters just as much um, yeah. but I haven't so it's like yeah. how do you and I think this is like where like the evolution of the labels and boxes is very important is because like you said you've never been through that before Mm -hmm. So how do you, once you let yourself be open to those opportunities and fuck, suddenly those opportunities arise and you're like, shit, uh, okay, I said, I said this might happen, but now it's happening and what the fuck now? Yeah. Like, well, that's, uh, um, I, I think that was one of the things that I really liked about that article that we were sharing and I we'll we should find a way to post this or yeah. share it with the group. Um, there's a lot of those moments. And I think that that, um, the, the double edged, the double edged sword in, in non monogamous relationships or whatever is, um, or polyamorous or whatever you want to call it is, um, you can't put things off very easily. Um, if you're having a dynamic in one relationship that's affecting another relationship, it, that stuff comes up pretty fast and it's, it's very much front and center. And so if you can't, um, if you can't wade into some stuff and be like, oh, wow, that feels, I, oh, Jesus, I wasn't expecting that to feel that way. Okay, now what do I want to do with that? And make some conscious choices, you end up being a little bit reactionary and it's probably going to be pretty hard in your relationship. I think in this, in the, in the article that we were sharing, that was really um, a central point was like, you're going to wade into some spaces and there's no rule book. There's no, there's no go to like, oh, well, this is what we're supposed to do. And I mean, I think that monogamous relationships are way oversimplified in the cultural dialogue. They're, they're not, um, That's straight and narrow. There are people who, um, there are people who choose to stay together, um, after the, the, the sexual aspects of their relationship have dwindled because of all sorts of reasons. There are people who are, um, who are physically monogamous, but emotionally not because they build connections in other parts of their lives. Uh, there's lots of those moments where people are, wading into feelings that they don't like and, and trying to unpack that with a partner in the same way that we are. Um, and there's, you know, sometimes the cultural narrative or the, the dominant social narrative isn't, isn't helpful for them either. No, and I think that's the, I think that's the general, like, feeling that I'm having, like, socially broadly right now, like, my understanding of how the world may or may not be shifting. 
um, uh-huh. is rule books are helpful and would have been helpful in the situations that we just referenced to in the sense that you could take them or leave them. Yep. You could be like, oh, this is a thing that people do and borrow from those, you know, borrow from, from the quote unquote literature um, what fits for you and what doesn't. And when there isn't a rule book, it's just like, it's kind of like that feeling when you graduate from university and they're like, the world is your oyster, be what you want to be. And you're like, okay, cool, a little bit of direction. Like, um, and it's, it is that freeze moment of just, I don't, I don't have the things that I could borrow from. I don't have the like multiple baskets of, of options that I could pick and choose from. I have to make them up for myself. And like you said, because there could be multiple dynamics happening, you don't necessarily have the time to think it through constructively as you might in sort of like, well, right now, like Mark and I have all the time in the fucking world to figure out what's going on between us because there's nothing else to do. Um, A lot of FaceTime. Yeah, but I mean, like for us, like as a couple, like we have each other and only Uh each other and we have a lot of time because we both have lost our jobs. And so it's like we can take, you know, have an argument and spend like eight hours not talking to each other without worrying about it. Like there is no Uh pressure there. There is there is no like what does that mean if this is the case? What does that mean if that's the case? Like, it's not urgent. So all of those, like, scenarios can be played out. But if you have multiple people, like, imagine, like, I can only imagine what that sort of, like, in a pressure cooker can look like. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a couple of interesting things you said there. Um, I, I, I think that there's, a, um, externally, there's often an assumption that in a, in a non-monogamous situation or in a polyamorous situation that, um, that you're, you're in this much riskier space. Um, and I think for me, some of the ways that, 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 that it appealed for me to unpack this is like, obviously, like I had questions on the, on the, on the sexuality side and, and um, how to connect with people. But it, it, the, the thing that I like about the relationship models that I'm in right now is we put all that stuff on the table. We talk about it. And it's not that there's a, there, there's no lack of commitment. Um, yeah. you know, we're, we're making, sometimes we're making those commitments to say, this is good for right now. And we're going to keep doing it for a little while until we give ourselves more information. Um, and I think some people do that, or, you know, more and more people are doing that in, in, in monogamous relationships. And they're like, well, we're not going to get married yet. We're going to like, we're going to live together for a while and see how that goes. Yeah. It's those kinds of same steps. And it means that you can still, you know, we can still have commitments to people and honor those commitments. And like some people are better at honoring their commitments than others. You know, when we talk about infidelities and some people are great at that and some people are terrible at it. And, you know, that's the thing that we as humans have to navigate with each other. Regardless or something else you were saying. Sorry? Regardless of the model that you're in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then what you were saying before about... Uh, about how we how we label and how we construct and how we make sense of the of the, of the world we find ourselves in. My Poly One Hundred uh, professor was saying like models are useful for making sense of the world we find ourselves in, yeah. but be very wary of defining the world by the model. Mm-hmm. So like the the model is just a tool. The mo- like you know like in Econ One Hundred you have a supply curve and a demand curve, and then there's a pot spot in the middle. That is a grossly oversimplified version of reality when it comes to economics and decision-making and all that stuff. And in fact, it's a fucking useless tool past, you know, econ 101. (laughs) So we have to be, I'm much more comfortable now of like walking into a conversation being like, yeah, this model works for me right now. And we're going to use it to, we're going to use it as an analogy to make sure that we're on the same page or to try and see if we're on the same page. And then we might have to throw that model out real quick yeah so and i think that's the the part that i like the most about being able to invest some time into theory and why i chose my degree and why you and i have like endless conversations about because we're fucking nerds and we love it but we are 100 percent. i say this in every episode but i think also it helps like i think it's a great tool whenever you find yourself in situations where you are in a, com- a difficult conversation, regardless of like the background of this conversation. Like it, it, talking to other human beings is can be really hard, and so mm. when you have the opportunity to take it out of the moment and to take it out of like accusatory statements and take it out of like you make me feel or I da 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 or you know <laughs> very particular kinds of accusatory feeling or like defense mechanism inducing sentencing. Mm-hmm. You're, yep. you're much more able to diffuse or construct or whatever the situation may be 
outside of like the particularities of right now, but also fully using the particularities of the situation you're in. And I think that's what a lot of the stuff about non-monogamy isn't as prevalent in the narrative. Like whenever I talk to my monogamous friends or my straight monogamous friends, it's like, how do you, it's like all these questions, like it's really just a lot of like talking. Yeah, yeah, the occasional orgy that you're thinking of in your head when you hear it, but like really a lot more talking about what might happen, oh, what has happened, yeah. what could happen, what would happen, what should happen. Like, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I, I was having a conversation with a with a dude that I worked with, um, and you know, not that all dudes are um, don't like this. have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not trying to disparage dudes. Um, but he was just like, oh, that's awesome, dude. You like, you like have, you must have a great time. You sleep with all these people. And it's like, oh man, you have like no idea. The the amount of time that in my life that gets invested in sex is like lovely. And I'm super excited about it. But it's like 10 to one, at least having like lots of conversation. But I like that. Like I, that's a part of the relationship that I love. I love coming um, into a room and seeing my partner and like just wanting to talk to them for hours and be like, yeah, yeah, no, we'll, we'll have sex later, but I've got some things to tell you. Like, yeah. Um, uh, and then having great sex because you feel like you actually talked through some things and you connected. And I mean, those are the fun things for me that I'm wanting to discover more of about sexuality. Now it's like, you know, the, the narrative of like, Oh, you can just have, go have sex whoever, with whoever you want. It's like, yeah, but I'm, I'm only interested in like really great sex. Like, I'm not interested in like half-assed like, oh, like I met this person at the bar and we like had a couple drinks and then we went home and rubbed each other. Like that's, I'm not interested in that. I'm like, I want to, I want to have transcendental, like mind altering. We went to another planet kind of sex. And that takes a lot of work and it doesn't, there's also like a lot of time where you can't even get there, even if you do have a good common connection with a person. So Yeah, I was just going to get to that. Um, How, like you said at the early stages of the episode, you said something about um, the work that you're doing on yourself and the weirdness that your place has gotten to with um, <laughs> breath work and, and like the conceptions of pleasure. Like what's, what's lately on your docket regarding that? Like what's, what's on your mind? Um, yeah, I, I've been joking around um, with one of my partners. I keep kind of telling her like, it's not going to get less weird, babe. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things that kind of when you, when you let the horse out of the stable, like the horse is out, like you, you, it's hard to put the horse back in the stable. Um, and I've, I've done that, you know, for a long time, I was um, a little bit more concerned about how I was perceived in society or like how I came across to certain friends or whatever. And now I'm like, nah, fuck all that. I'm, I'm like, I'm a polyamorous wingnut. I'm bisexual. I, um, I'm super into ethnogens and, and doing breath work and having like altered states of consciousness. And Oh, by the way, I do like three different jobs for work and I want to have conversations about sexuality with people that I don't know all the time. Like I've really, I've opened the stable doors, um, in a way that I, you know, even a couple of years ago, I would have been like, no, 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 I'm not going to talk about that with you. I barely even know you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so to, to answer your question, um, I've been, uh, last year I had some really powerful experiences with entheogens or, or psychedelics. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Um, I didn't know life could be experienced on this level. And, um, and and then also having some really amazing experiences physically. I, I I've spent the last sort of five years really exploring um, uh, endurance activities, so like long distance running, triathlons, uh, long distance swimming, specifically as well. Um, and I've had some really great experiences there. And then putting those two things together, I was like, oh, some of these feelings that I get in my body after like running for 12 or 14 hours in a row, I have also felt with some of these substances, some of these psychedelic substances, which is pretty incredible. And so that was drawing an interesting connection for me and opening up some curiosity. I'd be like, okay, well, if I can access these kinds of things in different pathways, what else is out there? And so then I started looking into meditation and breath work. I had a really powerful experience, um, breathwork experience just in the last few months. I was in, just most recently, I was in Bali before I had to come home because of the COVID thing. And I know Bali is a place that a lot of people go to, um, as uh, as we in, in, in our little community have started calling it, shove themselves up their own spiritual butthole. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. I was excited about going there to, to do a little <laughs> spelunking of my own. And uh, 
<laughs> I, uh, yeah, I had, I was, I did some breath workshops and, um, I feel like that that's a pretty incredible tool. And it's, I mean, it's just about, for me, these things are all related. And like, whether you're, you know, whether you're an athlete or whether you're really into sex or whether you're into breath work and meditation or, or doing psychedelics, there are ways of connecting with your body. Um, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's really great to do with someone else. And sometimes it's something that is a good practice to do on your own, like sex with a partner or masturbation. Like yeah. it's really great to know what turns you on and to like go sit in your room and touch yourself and figure all that stuff out. And it's fucking awesome to do that with another person. Yeah. So to, to explore those different areas, like my, my net's pretty broad right now. At this particular moment, I'm doing a lot of breath work because it's really easy to do by yourself. Um, I can sit on my living room floor and, and like do some funny breathing things for 20 minutes and have what feels like a spiritual experience for lack of a better term. And then I feel really connected and then I can go and drag my partner to the corner of our apartment and, um, and get connected with them. And we, we've done some breathwork stuff together with my partners that they're, I'm like also trying not to push any of this stuff on them. Cause I'm like, yeah, it's weird. I've like showed up and I'm rubbing rocks and feathers together and <laughs> wanting to do a bunch of strange things. So, you know, I'm just extending invitations in that way in the same way that I did in the early phases of, of wanting to get into non-traditional relationships with people. I was like, look, I'm here. I know this is a weird thing. I'm, I'm only inviting you into this space. If it sounds of interest, let's play together. If not, I'll go entertain myself. Yeah. Um, and that, method really worked for me i think it's i think it's really interesting that you draw the connection between like sports and all these activities because i think this is like a common consciousness thing that's happening during this like crazy isolation time is that (sighs) we are forced to like stare at ourselves and and have this like boredom like globally and i think that connection to the body and like obviously this is something that we're hearing a lot so it might sound super generic but like we've we've been forced by the system for like decades to forget about the body that's not what matters and like our entire system is built on fictional things like money which is not a thing (laughs) like the system it's all of that stuff this stuff that we've made up and we agreed to go by it's not physically real and so to pay attention to ourselves from just like this a ground level of just like living inside your body is in some way for some reason somehow ended up being this like revolutionary thing to do because we've not done it we've just not been taught to do it we've not had any tools to pay attention to and I think that's why a lot of like somatic work is really like surfacing right now of just like paying attention to how things feel and how how they show up and how the thoughts that you're used to looking at from your brain side, like from, from, you know, we're used to therapy for the brain, like for the thoughts, for the thing. And we're not used to maybe unless you've done yoga for like a long time, but even then, like the conversation isn't related to like your state of being most of the time. And as it relates to sex, as it relates to like every aspect of your life. And I think that's what was really interesting of your connection for people who might think that we're like the crazy people that talk about sex, but it's like, actually it's like applicable to everything that you do. Yeah. yeah. I think it's some of my own baggage walking into that space. I'm like worried about coming across as a lunatic. And so I'm like, well, I don't know if I can bring these things up in polite company. And now I'm starting to, you know, the more and more often it's like, well, the polite company is, is reading books by Michael Pollan on, on how to change your mind. It's like, you know, that guy was a, you know, he was a, fairly conservative fellow and he went on a big psychedelic journey to try and understand some things like you know we're all out there trying to find tools to make more sense of the world that we find ourselves in Mm -hmm. and yes we're overcoming a fuckload of um, cultural and historical baggage which we will continue to do for a very long time i think that there's for me this is my own like little agenda that i'm going to raise here um that in this moment like yes we're 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 all being I'm kind of forcefully invited to go and have some inner space and inner reflection time. Um, and I think that that's great. It's, it's interesting to talk to different people in my life. And some people are like, Oh, this is fucking great. I'm like, I feel really grounded. I I'm, I'm finding ways to channel my energy. I'm connecting with my partner. I'm, I'm not with a partner at all. I'm connecting with myself. Those are awesome. And then other people aren't feeling that. And that's, totally understandable and also like fuck i feel for you that's shitty i you know 
it would be great if if you if you were able to tap into some of those other resources and there's a time and a place for certain things and maybe maybe you need to sit in the discomfort for a while and 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 navigate to an outcome down the road a bit watching a lot of the obviously i'm consuming social media a little bit more than i would otherwise um, because it's one of the ways that i connect with my larger community in the moment like i'm sure we're all doing um i have I have watched a very complex and um, sometimes nuanced and sometimes um, blundering, uh, awkward (laughs) (laughs) public conversation on female sexuality over the last decade, which has been great. Like awkward or otherwise um, it's, it's been necessary to happen. And you know, this from conversations with me, I feel like to the detriment of all that conversation has not been happening in, in, in a way around male sexuality. It, it, there's some channels about what that looks like. There's a lot of narratives, um, especially in the last couple of years, I think, um, and in, as in a reaction to the Me Too movement and that kind of discourse, there was a lot of men who just like closed down. They were like, well, that's fucking scary. I don't want to be, I don't want to be on the wrong side of that. Yeah. Um, which is understandable and shitty and all of those things. I hope that in this moment there's a there, are, and I I want to be I want to be an opportunity to have those conversations with people in my community, and ultimately I'd like to do more of that work externally is to is to work with men and women, but men specifically about like, hey man, sex is more than just like getting a hard on and ejaculating for us too, and like, I, I mean as a as a personal reference, like I had what I thought was really great sex for many years of my early life, and like didn't realize until I was well into my thirties that was, there was a good chunk of that time where I wasn't having orgasms. I was ejaculating and I was like, Oh, well, this is what sex is. Like we, we have a really nice time. We hold each other, we move around and like, it feels good. And then like stuff comes out of my penis and that's, and then that's it. And then like, maybe we cuddle some more and I do other things and whatever. But now it's like, Oh, that was, there's a huge difference between an internalized full body orgasm or even a genital orgasm for a man than there is just ejaculating. Those two things are actually separate. But fuck, I can't. It's I'm on a big hunt, and it's hard to find good information about that. There's certainly not like a nice public discourse happening to say, hey, there's a door here that if you open yourself up to being a little bit more introspective, doing some meditation, breathing, like actually putting porn away for a minute and figuring out what arousal looks like for you. Yeah. Oh, no. Now you go take that into a space with a woman or with your partner, man, woman, or otherwise, and start expressing that with them. Fuck, it gets it gets so much better. Yeah, I it think it's so much better. It's crazy that for me, like the only avenue that I've seen discuss this openly and sort of like shovingly into the social like conversation is is Interesting term. Yeah, I'm very I'm very subtle with my analogies. Um, no, it's it's tantra, and like as a society, we've put tantra in a box of like those crazy people that talk about sex you know like far yep. away from far away from accessibility into like loony land and and now like when you when you look at the things that you just said it's like a lot it's different wording but it's basically what tantra has been like saying depending mm-hmm. on which tantra you're talking about and um and i think that's really interesting to take out of that box or like or into the box who like basically who gives a fuck about the box but like to to take the pieces out of that and and make it a conversation about generally pleasure and like all the conversations that are happening about touch because people are like starved to touch by themselves yeah exactly and so i think that hopefully like you said i'll I'll join your agenda on this it (laughs) will come out of this as a conversation that we can have more generally that won't be to the detriment of any gender in particular and that won't you know that that will take into account the spiritual again for the lack of a better term component of of our physical existence yeah I think it's interesting that you touched on Tantra. Like, I'm, I'm not an expert on, on Eastern philosophy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I was having a conversation with a friend who had just, who, she had spent three or four months in India earlier this year. We were having a conversation, like a ranging conversation on sexuality. And, um, and she brought this up with me, which I, which I didn't know because I was relatively uneducated, but like the, um, the distillation of Tantra being a sexual practice is actually, it, Tantra yeah. is, I, she, she 
I'm, I'm, I'm repeating secondhand information, so I, I, I could stand to be corrected, but it's like 112 ways of experiencing the world, one of which is through a, sexu- a lens of sexuality. Yeah. And so all the other things are like sitting quietly and listening, sitting quietly and, and going into your own body, like listening to music, chanting, like it gets pretty spiritual. And we're talking about, you know, practices within Eastern philosophy, which is great. I think there's a lot of doors and windows there. It's interesting that we have oversimplified this as a, as a social thing to be like, oh, Tantra is just like crazy things that like, I think the first time I ever heard about Tantra sex was when it uh, was like back in the 2000s when Sting was like talking about he and his wife um, having like these multiple hour long sex sessions. And it was like it was talked derisive. I think I heard about it as a comedian making a derisive comment about like, oh, Sting, like he's a fucking weirdo. I mean, the guy, you know, he was a very creative person. He probably came across as weird to a lot of people. Yeah. But there's more to it than that you know we're talking about very complicated and interrelated um aspects of our lives Mm -hmm. and 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 just to circle back for a quick second that conversation that's been happening more for women and less for men is not a is not a conversation that should be distilled into i mean there's certain things that maybe are um logical and and also just um you know in terms of of uh comfort and and safety in terms of where those conversations are happening and that there also should be a a place for that conversation to be happening much more publicly in a safe place as well like you know we should be able to talk about like hey sometimes sex is scary it's challenging it fucking feels weird because you show up and you thought you were in a headspace and then it turns out you weren't or are you thinking about a uh, you know, uh, your head's in the wrong space because you're thinking about a partner that you still have feelings for that you... Or even you're thinking about the fucking laundry, like whatever it might be, you yeah. know? It, it, yeah. it, it is a weird... And the reason why I brought Tantra in is because that's the only place where I've heard men expanding on the pleasure from a si- from like a physiological side of being a man. Like you're saying, like uh, I've had conversations with only a few people about Tantra, but every time it's like, it's the same tools that we're using that you were talking about. It's meditation. It's blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, I'm trying to tie a few thoughts together. So it's taking a while to put the sentences together. But um, the point being, my point being that generally we are having these conversations in boxes. We're having these conversations as like, oh, this is about tent or this is about men or this is about women or, mm. you know, like yep. the, the focus back on pleasure, bringing that conversation, like pleasure being sexual or not, you know what I mean, is mm. problematic socially because of like the constructs that we live by. And that having that conversation on a broader spectrum will be complicated regardless of which, you know, like little rabbit yep. hole you come out of because that's not the point in life. You know, yeah. like all those memes of like, oh, the things that bring you pleasure are all like illegal or fattening or blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, yeah. oh, like I can't even begin to like unpack how problematic all of that shit is and like more than problematic, like toxic. Yeah. And, and like, I think it, it, you know, on one level, that's just meant to be a joke, right? Like, yeah. you know, somebody's like, oh, this is kind of funny. And then other people are like defining, you know, be wary of defining the world by the model. Yeah. So in, the, in those moments, like, you know, for a long time, I'm, men have been taught that the model is like sex sex is an expression of i mean in worst case it's an expression of power uh and best case is just an expression of pleasure but it can you know sometimes sex can just be like hey i walked through the door you you look great in your yoga outfit i just went for a run we're tuned up let's bang on the floor great and then that, that's all it needs to be and then there's other times where sex can be so much more it can be such a uh, you know it can be a deep spiritual connection it can be a deep personal connection it can be emotional i uh, i had an experience with one of my partners in and around that moment last year when we were trying we were like trying to define our feelings for one another we were having a really shitty conversation and i in that moment i was like i want to initiate some physical intimacy and she was like what the fuck are you on about buddy and i was like no 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 no. i'm not trying to like get my rocks off here i'm trying to connect with you because we're not talking about the same we're not on the same page in our heads right now and i want you to know that i still love you and i care about you and i want to i want to i want to physically connect and we did that and it totally changed the conversation thankfully i had a partner who was open to that it was the circumstances that worked in that particular moment but that was a really powerful tool i think more than like you having a partner that was open to that it's also like a a credit to the connection that you guys have that you've built that you spent time connecting because i think you know 
saying credit to the, had a partner open to that it it puts sort of an onus on 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 their characteristic as a human and it's actually like a, a work well i think she's a pretty great human but 100 <laughs> percent. but i don't think that it's like some people no, are like that I'm and some people aren't <laughs> i don't want it to, to make it sound to no. listeners like it's just like some people are open and some are not like you you've invested the time into creating a situation with someone else that is open enough to like throw whatever fucking curveball could be at that time i think I think that that's a fair point, and I think that it also relates to like, you know, it's great that you and I and and all the people listening are are really interested in these topics. That it's a passion in our lives. Like, I spend a lot of time talking about my relationships, working on my relationships, uh, in spending time with my partner, spending time on my sexuality, talking to other people that are not intimately involved. That's important to me. It might not be for everybody, and that's okay too. Yeah, hundred percent. It doesn't have to be everyone's marching stick. Um, Which is a big thing when it comes to the conversation around monogamy or non-monogamy. It's like I, I, I'm really careful in getting to, into conversations on that topic with some of my community because I just feel like they want me to try and convince them of why it's such a great thing. And I'm like, I'm not your guy on that. Like, it's it's probably a terrible idea for you. <laughs> I've actually said that to two friends recently and they were like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's not for everybody. And I think that's the commonality with... I, I'm hearing more of that from people who are not ascribing to a particular model of non-monogamy. It's like, hey, dude, I'm not here to like tell you how to live your life or not, or I'm just sharing with you how I live mine. And that doesn't have any sort of influence on how you should or shouldn't live yours. It's an it's an immediate flag for me on a on a like a person to person level when I walk into a conversation and somebody says this is the path yeah this is the model this is the way that the world works these are the this is the like hard and fast fixed worldview mm. um, because I've always seen the world as a gradient of gray and the older I get the more that that's true for me the dark side of that is that I sometimes have a hard time making defined decisions about, especially in like career or where I want to live or what's the best thing to, you know, invest in or whatever, because the world is a constantly changing sea to me. Um, But if I walk into a spit into a conversation where somebody's like, Nope, it's hard and fast and defined and it's black or white or one of these things, I'm just like, well, we're probably not going to agree on a lot of things. So (laughs) cool. Like nice to meet you. Um, Um, Speaking of that. So let's try and uh, wrap this crazy rabbit hole into a, a pretty little bullet at the end. What's a thing that you wish on an individual level had been sort of part of the makeup of you? Like something that you wish you'd heard more or that, that you knew or that you've been told more or that you can tell more people, like something that was like more instinctive. Oh yeah. Your little takeaway action. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody loves I, I mean, in my in my own sort of self interested world, but I you know I consider myself an incredibly fortunate person. I grew up in a in an amazing place with a with a great community of people with tons of opportunities. So um, there's very little there's very little that I would wish to change in my life. I think specifically on the topic of sexuality, it would have been it would have been nice to hear at a younger age that there was that there was more to sex um, that it wasn't just you know, I, my my mother, um, uh, in a in an earlier phase of her life, worked as a as a nurse, and she was a kind of a healthcare professional later um, uh, in, later in her career. And so we had like really practical discussions about like I knew about safe sex, and I kind of you know I was I was essentially an only child to my mother, so we had lots of conversations about like what mutual pleasure looked like, and I'm like super grateful for that because I think that even while I wasn't, didn't know what I was doing, I wasn't a complete um, waste of time for the, for the women that went to bed with me for that period of my life. Um, (laughs) But I really wish that somebody had come along and said, there's like, Hey, there's more to this. Like it, you know, it can be these really gentle, lovely, um, shallow kind of interactions, which are great. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it can also be these other things because, it's turned out to be a really important area of my life that I want to explore more and that I would love to be able to offer other people. Um, so yeah, I just, I kind of wish that I'd heard that earlier, but you know, it's, it's hard to say. Maybe I would have, I probably wouldn't have been ready. I, fuck, I wouldn't have been ready for it at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm barely ready for the people in my life now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think that's like a, I don't think there's such a thing as ready. <laughs> um. 
you'll 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 be like, oh, I was totally ready for it, like six years from now. Um, cool. Well, thank you, Devin, for this. Yeah, it was a good chat. Yeah. Like you said, uh, I wasn't sure where we'd end up, but we we covered we covered most of the salient points. So. Good. I'm glad you think so. I'm sure we have tons more to to cover in like six months when things will have completely changed again. Oh yeah, I'm, I am. I do imagine. Well, I mean the 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 relationship petri dish is real. Like I went from I, I went from not living with either partner to coming back to Canada and not having a home of my own to splitting my time between two partners' apartments. So if I'm not spending time with one, I'm spending time with the other and I don't have like my own space to go to. So we've uh we we are stress testing the whole the whole system right now. Um but it's been it's been interesting and rewarding. But yeah, who knows what's gonna happen in six more months. But that's exciting for me. It might be terrifying for other people. Well, I'm I'm excited to hear where it goes. Yeah. Well we'll see. Well, I'd be excited to hear about how things unfold for you and your forced monogamy. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I think terrifying and exciting are are two parts of the same coin, so Yeah. Hopefully it all goes um somewhere new and somewhere more more. Somewhere more. <laughs> I will I will not be bored, I can guarantee that. Awesome. Well, um, thank you everybody cool. for listening to another week of Running Wild with Christine and um all of the stuff we said would be in the description is in the description, so feel free to click through that. And um yeah. Have some have yourself some pleasure. <laughs> Oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man.